Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, as you heard, we are the Armchair Superheroes. I am Pat Lane. With me is Taylor Kyles. Taylor, sir, how you doing? I'm doing well, buddy. I'm excited to talk Iron Man 2. I got fired up for Iron Man 1. Hopefully I can remember his little Easter right? eggs. <laughs> That's right, man. Iron Man 2, look, some people like it. Some people don't like it. I actually, funny story about Iron Man 2 was the first MCU movie I saw in the movie theaters. I actually saw it in 3D. Uh, my dad is a big Trekkie, uh, and I had gotten advanced screening tickets to see Star Trek uh, in the movies at the movie theater. And uh, and we got there, and they had passed out a ton of tickets. They were, they were like free, you know, free advanced tickets or whatever. They had passed right. out uh, a ton of tickets, and and it was at capacity, so we couldn't go. And they were like, well, here's a, here's a movie ticket to go see whatever you want. And we're like, well, what the hell are we going to do now? And so Iron Man 2 was playing. Uh, like the 9.30 show or something like that. And so me and my dad on like a Wednesday night went to went to the 9.30 Iron Man 2 show in 3D. Uh, and it was good. I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, but it's funny. It was the first it was the first MCU movie I had seen in the theater. Of course, it was only the second MCU, MCU movie. But uh, it was the first MCU movie I had seen in the theaters. And I really wasn't huge into the MCU until a little bit later on. Um, but I, I did enjoy this movie. And I think, look, sometimes it, it, t- it takes a little bit of a bad rap. It's not a terrible movie, though. It's, it's really not that bad. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is in the way the movie was made. So, uh, Easter egg guy for some background. The movie was pretty much rushed because of the success of Iron Man. They wanted to make Iron Man 2 as soon as possible. And they kind of screwed Jon Favreau because Jon Favreau wanted there to be a lot more heart in the movie. Um, there was a storyline in the comics called Demon in a Bottle, which basically addressed Tony Stark's uh, alcoholism. And all the superheroes found out about it. And it was this whole big thing where... It was the first time they showed, I think, uh, a, a major hero, or at least, you know, a significant hero in comics with substance abuse issues. So they were going to explore more of that. And you see it in the scenes where, uh, you know, he gets drunk at the party and he gets in the fight with right. Brody and everything. But that was going to be a much larger focus. And it was also, uh, the whole movie obviously is about legacies. You got Ivan Vanko. The opening scene is a sick kind of twisted uh, replica of Tony building his suit yes, in the cave is. where, you yep. know, he's getting his dad's blueprint, the blueprints that, you know, he kind of inherited from his dad with his weapons and everything. Ivan Vanko doing the same thing with his father who was disgraced by uh, Howard Stark and dying and him being all upset. So, you know, the legacies of all those guys, how 
Vanko's whole like kind of plan, thanks to Justin Hammer, is not just to kill Tony Stark, but to try to destroy his legacy. That was what the meat of the movie was supposed to be. And really, it still is if you look hard enough, but it was more pronounced. But what happened was Marvel wanted to play it safe. They wanted to make a fun movie, which is, I think, what they did. That's what Iron Man 2 is. It's a very fun movie. You know, I think when you look at it from a real cinema perspective, you look at characters, plot and everything, it's one of those movies that does just as much as it needs to with its characters and just gives you a lot of good action set pieces, a lot of fun stuff like the suit, um, the the, the briefcase suit up, obviously, one of the best ones that you get in the Marvel franchise. Um, But yeah, they really just wanted to focus on making it a fun movie rather than having all these character moments which is exactly what you get, but it's also why people don't like it as much as Iron Man, because like I said in our Iron Man podcast, what made that movie so fun was even though the villain wasn't great, even though, you know, the action was fun and everything, the reason it's still one of the best movies and holds up so well today is because of how much you love Tony Stark, how much you love the supporting characters and their charisma and everything, even though the movie doesn't get too deep into anybody but Tony. In this movie, really kind of did the opposite where they just kind of turned the fun up to 11 and we're like you know what they know who tony stark is we'll just make him change in some kind of way so like the whole thing with like his dad just happened to give him the component that or the element that he needed to fix his heart and all that that was in the whole thing with his heart was replacing the demon in a bottle thing with the alcoholism because that was killing him in the right. comics but in this one they were like oh we'll just make it his heart because that makes or the you know the arc reactor because that makes sense but um obviously right. i still love the movie i agree it gets a bad rap justin hammer sam rockwell freaking knocked it out of the park i can't wait till he's back in the mcu i know he's part of their plans but he is way underrated he's easily a top five mcu villain he's freaking hilarious and he's not menacing really but he's just you know that you know how he said that Obadiah Stane was like a twisted Tony Stark so is Justin Hammer so is Ivan Vanko but Justin Hammer is kind of the guy that you know he wants to be Tony Stark but he doesn't have the respect and he just overcompensates for it and even though you can tell he's smart and he's serious he's got his own you know weapons company he's a loser kind of but he's funny and he's you know quirky so um I love I love 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 Sam Rockwell I think he he was so good in that role and like I said I can't wait to see him back but yeah fun movie not too heavy on character but it does what it needs to right and you know to hammer's point right i I think that for him he's just such a moron he's just so dumb and he makes all these stupid mistakes but you you think part of the reason and i think the biggest reason why he makes those mistakes and and whether the movie does a good enough job doing it or not i don't know um and i think maybe it does and maybe it doesn't but like he looks up to Tony so much and he, he respects Tony so much and he wants to be Tony, but he spends too much time trying to be Tony instead of trying to be Justin Hammer, right? He's trying to be exactly. Tony Stark instead of trying to be who he is. And yes, you can tell right away. He's a complete loser. He's a complete, like he's never been popular. He'd never been any of those things. And he sees Tony and he wants to be Tony and he just isn't. And instead of trying to be his own guy, he tries to be Tony and he tries to control things like Vanko which he can't, right? But he tries to control that yep. because he thinks that that will help him beat Tony, right? He doesn't care what exactly. Vanko really wants to do. He doesn't even look into what Vanko wants to do because he's just concerned about trying to uh, trying to beat Tony, you know? And that's the only thing he cares about. And so it's just, you know, it, it's it's interesting in that, in that part of it, you know? And it does get yep. a little much for me, you know, but I do think I understand where it's coming from. I understand, you know, his, his plot line. I do like him. Um, Mickey Rourke is, is great in it. I, I love Mickey Rourke anyways. Yep. 
he's good. He's got, you know, he feels like a real villain. Like he's a real villain. And again, it's a mirror villain in, in a sense, but it kind of isn't like, you know, it's a little bit different because it's like, he is just as smart as Tony. And I think that that's really, that's the other side of it where you don't see, you don't see guys that are as smart as Tony is. And he can come out and he can build things as well as well as Tony can. And I think that that's something that he's unchallenged in those things, you know, at least, at least in the, in the mind and Rourke can do that type of stuff, which is, which is fascinating. And I think that's, yeah, they do a good job with that, you know? And, and, um, and yeah, so anyways, all right. And they build that up in the entire opening scene. It's like, you know, the, the, or the, the, um, when they're talking to, you know, the government people, I don't know how government works or what they're called, but when they're, when Tony's basically in front of this uh, panel saying, and trying to justify the Iron Man armor and they're saying that they want it, they have the whole thing where no one in the world can figure out how to make their own uh, Iron Man armor. Justin Hammer obviously tries his and then like it kills the guy inside him pretty much. They don't really say it, but I'm 98% sure that dude died. He um, said he, said but, he didn't know, die. But, you know, that's yeah, he says. It, it, you know, yeah. I would like to let you know that that guy survived, you know, but like, so. And we trust Justin Hammer. We're smarter I know, right? Than yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, right. it shows you that, you know, Tony Stark made this, you know, he made his suit in a cave with a box of scraps. Ivan Vanko made it clearly very poor in Russia with very few resources other than his blueprints. And he right. just comes out and makes a suit with freaking uh, whips on it that are uh, have electric currents running through them. So, yeah, it shows you that this guy is on Tony's level. He's just as smart. He is the one person in the world who was able to make another arc reactor, even though everyone else had tried and he didn't even have, you know, the, the government funds and all those things to make it. Um, but before we move on from the villains, I got some more Easter eggs. The smaller one is, um, I don't know if you noticed, but when Justin Hammer's talking to Vanko in that airplane hangar, when, you know, he just flies them in, do you notice yeah. he's got, like, he's got spray tan on his hands? Who it's does? Like just sloppy. It's, Justin Hammer does. It just like shows you how uh, what kind of a loser he is. He's literally got it. Like, and that was something yeah. that Rockwell actually wanted to do. He was like, "Well, oh, this guy is kind of, you know, he's kind of dorky. He's he overcompensates. He tries too hard. Maybe just give him something that makes him look like kind of an idiot." So they put spray they uh, they put the spray tan on his hands to make him just look, you know, like just just like a guy who wasn't oh totally together, even though he really That's wanted great. to be. I miss and that. Even cooler. This is a bigger one. The airplane or the hangar that they're in, Elon Musk, one, actually, Elon Musk, I think, was somebody that Kevin Feige said was part of the inspiration for the Tony Stark they did in the MCU. Elon Musk is in the movie when they're at the race, and he tells Tony he has an idea for, like, some kind of jet that comes up later in the movie. Yeah, the electric jet is something that Tony comes up with later on in the franchise. So Elon Musk is not only in the movie, but gives Tony Stark in that reality – an idea for like a jet that he creates later. I think it's part of what he does when he reworks the Quinjet, but the hangar that Sam Rockwell is in was Elon Musk's hangar for like, what is it? The SpaceX program or whatever that he has. Right. But they yep. asked to film in his actual hangar, which was pretty sick. Um, and then That's Mickey cool. Rourke, he was saying he not only got authentic, like Russian tattoos, like everything on his body, obviously the tattoos aren't real, but he said that he wanted actual like Russian prison tattoos. So he's got a bunch of those, like everything you see on his body has some type of, you know, foot in reality. And he Crazy. was the one who actually pushed. It didn't, it went away on the cutting room floor, but Mickey Rourke really pushed for the character to have a little more depth and to be someone who wasn't just a one note villain who wanted to kill Tony Stark. And there's a deleted scene where 
he basically captures Pepper and uh, says, you know, just he, Tony goes and uh, it's when they're at the fair. Tony's like, kill me. She's not important. And he basically says, no, I want you to understand what it's like to lose somebody because of what you've done. So um, a lot of, like I said, a lot of behind the scenes stuff in this movie that kind of got left out because of what Marvel wanted to, the direction they wanted to go in. But uh, I thought those were some pretty cool little Easter eggs. No, those are good ones. Those are good ones. And there's two other characters I want to talk about. Scar Joe's obviously in this. Uh, Black Widow's in this for the first time. She is just, oh my God, dude. When she steps into Badass. the ring against Favreau and you're just like, oh my God, dude. And then, the, you know, uh, later on in the movie, she's getting undressed in the, in the thing and he's like looking in the rearview mirror. But, you know, <laughs> and she walks in and she's like, I'm going. Like, and she just crushes everyone. And then he knocks out the guy and he's like, I got him. And he looks, he looks up in the whole, the whole, all the guys are wiped out. But (laughs) the mace at the end gets me every time, dude. I laugh at that part every time, man. When the guy comes up with the mace and she takes it from him and she's just walking down the hallway and she just sprays the guy in the face, leaving looking at him. It's just great, you know? Um, She's awesome in it. And then, and then Rhodes. Now, I, I referenced this obviously last movie. Uh, Starts out as Terrence Howard, becomes Don Cheadle. It's the only real change in a movie now obviously um you know it's a pretty big change bruce banner is obviously a pretty big change as well and they i howard think they stark. do change uh howard stark as well but he's obviously a, a much less character but you know Rhodes mm-hmm. is a big one what do you think what's your opinion there do you do you prefer and it's hard to say right because Cheadle, obviously we've seen so much depth of his character and i like i like his version of it so much partially because mm-hmm. he's in so many movies but you know just from this one to the last one, from Iron Man, Iron Man one to Iron Man two, what did you think of the transition there? And you know, were you upset that it wasn't Terrence Howard still? Or are you happy? Do you think it was a good change to go to Don Cheadle? Or where are you on that one? I'll go on my opinion on that, and then I've actually got some casting Easter eggs for those two right after. But it's hard to picture Terrence Howard as Rhodey just because Don Cheadle is a comedic actor. So even though he was a very serious character, I think he brought, and obviously he's still a dramatic actor, like Hotel Rwanda. He's very versatile. Right. He's fantastic. One of my favorites, actually. Um, so I just love, I really like what he did with the character, how he was serious, but still had a little bit of humor. I think Cheeto brought as much to the role as he could, considering that Rhodey's never really been a character that they explored very deeply. Obviously, he was paralyzed, but, you know, they don't do a lot to show his character progression throughout these movies. He's really just the straight man for Tony Stark, pretty much. Um, yeah. But that being said, I don't see Terrence Howard doing more with the role, especially, you know, seeing him on Empire, like I cannot see him as, you know, this straight jacket, regular person, even though we saw it in Iron Man, just like in the other movies, it's Don Cheadle for me through and through. I, I couldn't have seen Terrence Howard. So I was pretty indifferent to the change. Um, I thought it was, I didn't actually know Don Cheadle at the time. So it was definitely weird. But now that I've gone on and seen, you know, both their bodies of work, I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's. War Machine is Don Cheadle. But, um, yeah. All right. So, the reason that he actually got the role, Terrence Howard wanted to be making as much money as Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Obviously, Marvel was like, what? Absolutely not. That's insane. <laughs> so, he was, and I think uh, there was supposed to be more money going into his contract, but then Robert Downey Jr., I don't know if he like took it, but the money went to him to pay him more than for what he got for the first Iron Man. So, that was why Terrence Howard walked away. In Scarlett Johansson, was actually Marvel's second choice for Black Widow. Their first choice was Emily Blunt, John Krasinski's wife, who everyone oh is goodness. hoping that she turns into the Invisible Woman in the Fantastic Four. She's actually been talking to Marvel since Iron Man 2. Like, she's been every, pretty much every year they talk about different roles that she can play. She's rumored to end up in uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
But, uh, yeah, Emily Blunt was their original choice for Black Widow, but because of a scheduling conflict, she couldn't do it. And Scarlett Johansson, she even acknowledges it in interviews that she's like, yeah, I was a second choice, but, you know, I'm, I'm not mad. I really wanted to be in this movie. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you, um, I, I, I do I want to talk about Rhodes, too, but uh, the ScarJo thing, she, I mean, I can't imagine anyone else being, I love Emily Blunt. But like the what Scarlett Johansson brought to that role, I think she's perfect. I, I can't imagine anyone else yep. in that role. Um, and, and as far as as far as the Cheeto Howard thing, I, I think for me, it's almost like I think Howard's just too cool. Like he's just he's just so cool. Yeah. And you see that in um, uh, what the heck is the rap movie that he's in? Um, Hustle and Flow. The yeah, that's it. Hustle and Flow. You see that in Hustle and Flow. You see it in Power. Like. You know, you, he's just so cool. He's such like a cool guy. And Rhodes, although he is cool, isn't that cool. You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah. he's certainly not as cool as, as Robert Downey Jr. And so, and and also is good looking. And Don Chio is a good looking guy too. But Terrence Howard is like, I mean, you know, he's a good looking guy. You know, right. so he like yep. kind of <laughs> overshadows Tony, right? Where it's like you walk into a room and it's like, here's Tony Stark, and oh my god, he's the best looking guy, and he's like super rich and famous. And he's cool, right? And it's like Terrence yeah. Howard can walk into the room and and maybe not overshadow him, but at least compete. You know, whereas Don Cheeto is like, he's not competing. He's a good looking guy too, but he's not competing with Tony Stark for that, you know, for the for the admiration and for everything else. It's like, yeah, cool guy on, you know, everyone likes him, but he's not like he's not Tony Stark, you know. And I think that that's yeah, I think that it makes it just makes more sense with Cheeto playing it, I think. And so um so for me, I, I, I like, uh, I'm happy with the change there, you know? So uh, as far as, some, as far as some of the other stuff, I mean, um, the birthday party you mentioned, it's so cringe for me, man. It's like cringe worthy for me. And I, and I know that it's meant to be, and it's kind of designed to be, um, and it's their way of showing the problems that he was having without actually showing the problems that he was having. Um, and of mm. course, all that's brought on by, you know, by the blood toxicity stuff. Right. And, and, and right. I think because they wanted to go that way, like you said, you know, they wanted to go, they wanted to show how much he was struggling, but instead of showing it through alcoholism, they're showing it through the blood toxicity. And, and, you know, um, I got a little tired of the blood toxicity stuff after a while, but you know, yep. it, it is what it is. It was fine. I thought, I thought it was fine. Um, but you know, that, that birthday party is just, is rough, you know, it, it's hard to watch. Oh, and then yeah. of course the fight, the fight after is good. You know, but I, I, what I love is how the very next scene after the fight, they immediately throw out the fact that, you know, that Taren, uh, that Cheeto beat him up and stole the suit. And Nick Fury is like, that, you let him walk away with that. You didn't get – You're Iron Man and he you. just took it? Yep. <laughs> right, you know, and I, and I think – and, like, when you stop and think about it, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But, like, I love how they just poked a hole in it right away. Like, no, no, that, something else is going on. We know something else is going. On. Of course, you know when you're watching the movie that he's dying, right? And so, like, plus he was drunk. <laughs> we know something's going on, right? And that's the other part too, right? And so it's like, yeah, we know something else is going on, and it's like you let him do that because there are fail safes that would never let him take that, you know. So you let him take it. Right. So it's um, I just like how they poke holes in it. But again, like some of the stuff where it's like, Ro you know, it took Tony so long to figure out the suit, and then Rhodes is like an expert at it in like three seconds. Like it's just like you know, yeah. and I know he's like. That's what he does for a job, but even still, it's kind of like okay, he's like he's great at it. I don't know. I just I don't know some of that stuff for me. I can see where people where people look at it. Um, 
you know, oh, and you mentioned, uh, by the way, Colson, I, I love the Colson line where he's like, you know, <laughs> he says something like, I'll tie you up oh, and, watch, <laughs> and watch episodes of yeah. Spaghetti or something like that. It's, yeah. It's sort of like, he says, he says like, uh, if you try to escape, I will tase you while you drool on the floor. And I watch Super Nanny on the couch. I was like, oh that's my right. God. <laughs> that's it. Yep. And I'm like, I'm like, Colson is totally the type of guy that would watch Super Nanny though. So, hundred <laughs> so. percent. And, uh, um, you know. And, oh, my God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, the blood toxicity thing. Yeah, I, I wish that they had really leaned more into Tony and his dad because you obviously get the hints of it. Like, you know what? He has a line where he says, my dad was calculating. He was cold. He never told me he loved me. He never even told me he liked me. Right. And, you know, you get bits of it. And, obviously, you can tell that they had a very strained relationship even from the first movie. But you don't actually see it. Like, I think I'm not a big flashbacks guy, but I think, if anything, they should have at least had something where you could really get – a more visceral sense of how detached they were. Right. Um, I think you get that kind of in civil, like we get it in civil war when you get the bark technology where it shows the last time he talked to his dad. And that's yes. what gives you the emotional gravity later on in the movie. And so it makes it that moment where um, John Slattery says, you know, my greatest creation is you. It's like, well, that's nice, but I've literally never seen you two in a room together. So it's kind of weird. And I thought it didn't hit home emotionally. And again, that right. was a that was something that Marvel decided. I think John Favreau really wanted to lean more into that and make you feel Tony's pain and how kind of abandoned and alone he felt as someone who had to, you know, live up to the legacy of this great man who treated him like crap. But um, you know, that's the beauty of the Marvel movies and the MCU is that they have so many opportunities to correct that. And I thought they did it. In Civil War, obviously it gives you a little more depth into the relationship because you can see them interact and how you can tell there's tension. And the mom knows that there's always tension and she kind of tries to help it. And then right. he obviously freaks out later. And then when he actually goes back in time at Endgame and sees his dad and his dad admits that the reason he treated him like that was because he didn't want Tony to end up like him. So he yes. basically, his dad was pushing him away to protect him, which is, it's twisted, but that's how real life relationships work. You know, sometimes you right. get parents that don't make the right decisions and they alienate their kids for reasons that they think are right. And it completely messes up the kid mentally. And, you know, they turn into sex and alcohol, sex addicts and alcoholics. That's what Tony right. Stark is in these movies. Um, and no, so he kind of has yeah, his totally whole life turn around and he settles down with Pepper. Yep. And he says, you know, and he even says to him, he says, you know, he said something about his dad. And he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I thought he was hard on me, but turns out like he's he actually wasn't that bad. You know, like, and so uh, yep. he, he's got, he's made his peace with it as well. You know, and so I think that that's something... Yeah something interesting for him, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the, the tinkering, so you mentioned the, the scene with the, um, you know, with the, the, what the key, the key to the future or whatever is here from the, from the expo mm -hmm. and that tinkering scene with him. Look, I have no idea what the hell he's doing. I have absolutely no idea what happened. I don't know how he went from that town to, to a, uh, you know, to, to a new element. I have no clue how it happened. But I love I could watch Tony Stark just tinker and do random stuff with like with stuff like that for a full Box two hour movie. I could just watch that. <laughs> like I could just I could just do that, you know. So I don't know what the hell he did, but it was cool. So I was like, all right, I'm in. And I I'm think down with that. I got some explanation for that. And I only know because I've seen the movie so many times. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, okay, I've seen this movie eight times and I still don't know how he made the element. Um also a ton of Easter eggs with that whole place with the uh Stark Expo and with him building it. But to explain yep. how it happened, his dad left the, I guess, the, the atomic structure of the element that he needed to create 
in the whole diagram of the place. So when he tells Jarvis to make the simulation of it and he takes everything out, like he takes out basically all the non-essential buildings and realizes that it is the atomic uh, structure of whatever he needs to make. Again, like I'm not even a scientist, so it makes it even harder for me to understand. That's just enough for me right. to be like, okay, that's what happened. I'm not like, yes. it's such an early movie. I'm not looking too much into how they try to do it because I know the Marvel didn't really care to explain it because it was just like right. so kind of forced and like the whole laser and everything. Like, I don't know what the hell that was, but um, the first time that we saw Captain America shield was in the scene where he's trying, he's using that laser to make the element and he uses it as a paper paperweight. And it also gives you a glimpse into the, yep. And he, and he gives you a little glimpse into the fact that Coulson is like this big Captain America fan because he's like, where did you get this? And he's like, Oh my God, yeah. that's exactly what I needed. You think it's this big moment. I remember I was freaked out. And then I saw him the way he used it. And I was like, oh, man, they're just teasing us. Okay. But, um, so there was that. The Stark Expo that he redoes is obviously the same place that Captain America and Bucky went on their date back in the 60s. That was the whole thing right. that Cap that, that was the whole thing that Iron Man rebuilt. And then they retconned this. It wasn't originally intended to be this. But the kid that Tony saves at the Expo, when he, the kid who has the mask on and tries to blow up uh, the robot, is Peter Parker. I'm not even sure if the timeline adds up. I don't really care because I've stopped trying to do Marvel math. But I think it's pretty right. cool that it's the first time in the movies that you hear him refer to like a little kid as kid. He says, good job, kid. That's what he calls Peter. That's what he used to call her, uh, the kid in Iron Man 3. I think his name's Hurley or something like that. But it's really cool that the first time you really see Tony Stark interact with a kid, it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, yeah. It's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, no, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a lot of good things. I, I love the one-liners. You know, the end, obviously, I think is a good is a good fight scene. I do like that a lot. I think, you know, he may, he makes some sort of reference where he says, you know, I, uh, I'm i dealing with a hemorrhoid attack right now, which is just fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, and then the, the end, the, that final scene where it's him and Rhodes together and, uh, you know, and they fight all the droids and stuff is, is great, you know, and he's like, you, this is the kill box. He's like, you can't be in here. This is, this is where you go to die, you know, and then they, of course, end <laughs> yeah. up there, right? But but I do think, you know, obviously they fight Vanko, and it's a quick fight when they finally get to him, right? So it's almost like they fought a million guys, and it was, like, really hard, and they almost died, and they fight Vanko, and it's like they're dead. Like, there's no chance they're going to live, and then they kill him, and, like, it happens instantaneously. Sure. And it's almost like, it's like, okay, I get it. I, I know why it worked, but it's like, it's almost like a letdown. Like he's this like great, you know, he's this great person and this great, uh, crazy inventor. And it's like, they kill him in like 10 seconds. And it's like, okay, that was, you know, yeah, it's almost like was, a letdown. That was the something end. they decided last minute. Exactly. It was a let, cause they just kind of shoehorned it in there. His last scene was right. supposed to be when, um, I think, you know, when, um, Pepper's on the staircase and then that robot explodes and Tony grabs her. Right. That was yes. supposed to be Vanko's last scene where I'm not, I don't think they ever revealed how he was supposed to die. But his last standoff was supposed to be Banco holding Pepper hostage and Tony in front of him basically trying to calm him down. And that was how the issue got resolved. And I feel like when you watch the last fight, it has that kind of tone where you're like, they just built up this villain so much and he just dies because of a big explosion after he has a suit for two seconds. Like, right. you, yeah, you're spot on. It definitely didn't didn't feel quite right. But the, the drone battle was dope. Like when um, Rhodey's shooting one of the things and all the oil is spitting up into his face like blood. Yeah, I was like, that so is great. so badass. And then yep. the ex-wife, obviously, that was hilarious. One of the best monologues in the MCU, Sam Rockwell saying something like uh, the ex-wife would make Ulysses look like he was written in crayon, which also was something that he improvised that day. He didn't have any of that like before. They had a few descriptions, but when he was going through a lot of those, he just made it up on the spot. Like Sam Rockwell's a freaking genius because He's that so entire speech is so funny.
Yep. Yeah. No, he's great. And then, you know, of course, and Gary Shandling, by the way, and he comes up obviously later on in the movie as well, but he's so good in this. Uh, he's so good in the entire MCU and, and uh, he's just fantastic, you know? And when he's, uh, he's like, oh, it's, it's funny how, how, uh, how a little prick could be so annoying, you know? It's just, oh, yep. it's so great, you know? <laughs> Dude, uh, I and didn't then know I just love. He was before the MCU. That's how young I am. I didn't know that he was like this really famous <laughs> comedian who had this like long yeah, illustrious dude. career. I'm like, who's yep. this funny looking guy? He's got some good comedic timing, <laughs> but like, I have no idea who this is. And then I looked him oh, up yeah. like a few years later, legend. And I'm like, oh my god, yeah, he's huge. <laughs> yeah, no, total legend. You know, so that's it's funny how they get people like that. And even like like Kate Mara has a ca- uh, has a cameo in this movie. And like I just yep. you know Kate Mars not a huge actress but she's big enough that I thought like okay she's gonna be like in it again and then she just was never in it again mm-hmm. and she was just like a cameo you know but um, right. but they do a good job with that stuff you know and then I love the end scene when you know he picks up Pepper and obviously they, they kiss on the on the roof and uh, you know Rhodes is like he looked like two seals fighting over a grape or something <laughs> just like, it's just, <laughs> it just gets me you know and so. I do like the, I think the Pepper Tony relationship is very good. I like it. I like the way they do it. Obviously, you know, he makes her CEO and then everyone's questioner and they kind of go through the whole thing. And it's like, you know, the, the, the spiral down the fall from grace, you know, is okay. It's good, but it's not, I don't know. It feels, it doesn't feel like complete, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't love it. I guess is, is the way I put it. It's hard for me to put into words why I don't love it. I just don't, just something about that fall from grace part of the of the middle of the movie that I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine, it's just not, it's not great, you know. And, and that's just kind of how yeah. I feel about it. It's it's hard to it's hard to explain why. There's just something missing from it, and I'm not sure what it, what it is exactly. It's just something missing from it that I wish was in it, and that I don't, I I can't even like. It's a podcast, which I should you should probably think like I should be able to vocalize <laughs> it, but I just I don't know exactly what it is, but I just don't love it. You know, it's good. It's just not great, you know? And again, I think it was from the effort and, like, the whole intention of Marvel. And that was kind of weird how Iron Man was their baby. And it's kind of a movie that – it's the only one of the core three superhero movies that didn't improve. Captain America got better every single time. Every Obviously, time. Thor was okay at first because they didn't really know what to do with him yet. Thor The Dark World, that was another movie that had – basically any Marvel movie that has a lot of problems that are very obvious – and that you kind of walk out being like, that was an all right movie, but I didn't love it. Almost all of those were movies where Marvel had some kind of production issue, whether it was recasting, whether it was writing, having to find a new director, you know, right. um, rushing the script. Like, if you can tell, it's because Marvel, you know, didn't, it wasn't one of their best efforts. And I think you right. see that in this movie. Again, they did make it fun. Like, I, I want to give this movie more credit than it usually gets because they did exactly what they meant to do and its flaws are things that they kind of intentionally did although i disagree with them but it does kind of suck that iron man is literally the heart of the mcu but his film franchise suffered the most because of all the experimentation that marvel tried to do and you know it just never hitting like the mandarin and iron man 3 kind of this whole tone of that movie and the cop-out that pissed people off at the time like, really, a lot right. of the experimentation just did not work with the Iron Man franchise. But, obviously, luckily, the Russos did a great job with him when they incorporated him in the Civil War and, uh, you know, Endgame and everything like that, and it was better. But, uh, yeah, this definitely isn't one of the better MCU movies, but it's better than it gets credit for. It's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun time. I would agree. Certainly better than Iron Man 3 and better than Thor 2. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's got that going oh, for God, it. Oh, God, yes. So... <laughs> so. Anyways, I think that does it for Iron Man 2. Uh, again, 
as Taylor said, look, it's good. It's not great, but it's good. And it's a fun movie. And it's a movie that, um, you know, that you should enjoy watching. And I think for people that are starting the MCU, you know, for someone who, who hasn't seen the MCU before going through, it's an enjoyable movie. So, uh, so I like it now next on the list. Oh boy. Next on the list is a tough one. It's the incredible Hulk. It's yeah, there were some issues. And so we'll talk about that. Yeah. It should be an interesting podcast. Cause it's going to be the first time where we're going to be a little negative. I would think uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but I think we're going to be a little negative. And so, uh, so yeah, I'll say there it, are but... some bright spots to the movie. That movie are, definitely yes. was served well because of the continuity that they were able to build on. Uh, but yeah, there was, and there's, there's some funny Easter eggs in that one too. I'll bring out. There's, you know, some references to old Hulk stuff. Um, right. Some, some bright spots for sure. But overall, yeah, it's, it was not their, their best effort. And even, I think Feige even acknowledges that like, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not one of my better movies. <laughs> The, the best thing I can say about The Incredible Hulk is that it wasn't the worst Hulk movie made in the 2000s. So it's got that going for it. Ang Lee, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, that'll be next episode. Thanks for coming along. We appreciate it. And, uh, and we will talk to you. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.